So I have been listening to some book podcasts um, that are kind of like book clubs. They talk about books. It's like normally two or three people. And it kind of always feels like I'm an outside person listening in on like two or three friends talk about books. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, like I'm laughing, but I'm like the Peter Pettigrew of the group. I, yeah. So I want to say that I hope if you are listening to these episodes, if you've been, you know, you're a new listener or like a a long time OG, you know, because we've been going for so long. <laughs> Six months? Nine months? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So if you are an OG fan, I just hope that Jordan and I have created an environment where you guys feel like you are sitting in the room with us, you're eating our snacks, drinking our drinks, and this is like an inclusive conversation. It doesn't feel like you're just kind of like eavesdropping on our conversation. That's what I've been like thinking about for the podcast. I want this to be like an inclusive, like you're part of the group. You should feel comfortable enough to disagree with us. Yes, that too. Like that, yes. that is what I want from people. Mm-hmm. If that's the level of comfort you have listening to us, like, oh, I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. And I feel like I can respond to you with an alternate opinion. Yes. That to me is like the definition of like a, a true relationship mm-hmm. where you feel comfortable disagreeing with the other person, but willing to have a back and forth. Yes. Yeah. So I hope that is an environment that Jordan and I have fostered that you feel um, more like that instead of kind of, I think, the norm for podcasts where you almost feel like you're eavesdropping or like not supposed to be in and on the conversation and you kind of feel apart. We are a giant family of imaginary people in this recording room. Join our family. Drink soju with us. (laughs) Yes. Or tell us your drink of choice and your book of choice. Yes. Or your show of choice. Like we are not heroines like genre or format specific anymore mm-hmm. we want we want to know what you like yeah so we can talk about it too because i think we all feel more connected when we have those shared experiences absolutely yeah so that was just a good segue i hope you're in the room with us because i'm just pretending like i'm surrounded by friends instead of just me and Jordan instead and of and snacks and liquor <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're just in it and dogs <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i hope you guys are here with us i hope you feel that please talk to us If you feel like we're not kind of fostering that vision, because that is the vision for Not Another Heroine, because we're all Not Another Heroine. Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book. <laughs> well, we're back. Um, <laughs> and by we're back, we haven't left because no. we're recording all three parts in the same session. Yeah. Uh, Master of Crows, part three. By Grace Draven. I think we timed it well, though, that uh, the first episode, we were starting to feel the alcohol. Uh, the second episode, we're not going to talk about. <laughs> and the third episode is the, like, come down. Come down. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that might require a shot. I um will vomit, but yeah, it does. I also love the fact that this shot glass has only Snow White's head on it. <laughs> like her body is like these gone. shots of glasses have been through a lot they they went through the twilight episode <laughs> oh that is true that was that was an episode and i feel like this is also turning it out into this an episode. isn't nearly as bad as that horrific liquor we were drinking during twilight oh my god the raisin thing the raisin 
Yeah. Mm. Um, again, for our audience, because it's probably been like two weeks um, since you've heard from us and we're still drunk, uh, <laughs> we are drinking soju and it's delicious. You can probably find it at some kind of like wine beverage place. Um, we highly recommend the plum, peach, and strawberry flavors. Yes. Uh, but for reference, um, we're on our third bottle uh, plus a couple of ciders. <laughs> yeah. So um, like in typical girl mode, we have four drinks apiece on yeah. the table. Yes. Uh, one for hydration, one for fun, and one for caffeine. Except there's no caffeine. It's just all alcohol. One for extra fun. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. And we've only been eating vegetables because uh, this is true girl dinner. We For for real, though, we have a veggie tray, cheese, and lollipops on the table. Yes, that we do. So I just hope that's like a good preface to why um, we're maybe incoherent in some of these episodes. <laughs> we're going to finish part three. Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. So part three. Uh, so we had our sex scene in part two. You know, oh, that happening. But part three is kind of sad because it immediately starts with Salhara telling, I am struggling. Martis? Words? Um, visitors happen, right? Uh, yeah, but what's her name? The Martis? Oh, uh, Martis. Okay. I was oh, saying like Matrice dear. or something. Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, words are hard. Martis, that she is a magical source. And although she can't do spells herself, she can be like a source for other people's spells. Um, and she's something called a Bide Gianna. Um, oh, that is not the pronunciation I had in my head. But oh, that's what did you say? Nope, I'm not going to repeat it here. <laughs> that's fair. For the online community. Yeah. Uh, no. So I think it translates to life giver or something similar. Yeah, I am pretty sure. And yeah, so she's a life giver. She can't do spells herself, but she can give spells to other people. And it's kind of sad because he also tells her like kind of as a warning and kind of as like a... I don't know, like, be careful. Basically, all bidet Giannas in history have been slaves and drained and abused by people. And she's like, okay, that's great. Like, I'm a slave and also a bidet Gianna, which is like also a different kind of slave. So, <laughs> okay, here's my life. So, I just had a moment. <laughs> that's fair. This whole episode has been a moment. I wasn't going to reveal how I said this. The, the I, I said by Jana. That sounds cooler, though. Um, but you saying bidet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I feel like this is a good time to... So we're not sponsored by Tushy, but... Oh, also, also get one. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, let us as americans join did you finally get one i did did you install it i did and it was super easy to install super easy to use um you will feel 140 percent cleaner than just you did. do it um it's a bidet i don't think we've actually said that but uh just get the fucking tushy thing it's probably <laughs> coming up on your instagram ads like yeah just do it <laughs> yeah i think there's it'll be a prime deal that's how we got ours yeah it, it, it's nice. It's even like two for one or something. Yeah. Just do it. Anyway, bidet Gianna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, life giver. Yep. Yeah. Also clean giver. <laughs> <laughs> that deserve. you need to take a drink. That is not fair. <laughs> you, you too. Pour one. Pour oh. one for yourself. I'll do one if you do one. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we had opposite responses. <laughs> Everything is fine. 
Um, Where were we, aside from talking about bidets? Bidets. Um, <laughs> Martise. Martise. And if Martise, I think Martise kind of is the heroine of Not Another Heroine. She really is. Because she could be anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whereas th- where we started with Crown Duel, mm-hmm. um, Mel is not everyone's heroine. No. Mm-mm. I feel like Martise is a little bit more bland is a harsh word. Mm-hmm. Bland, but like you mean it nicely. Mm-hmm. Like um, bland, but with like an edge. I yeah. Don't, I don't know. She's just slightly more that you have some sort of aspirational goals to be somewhat like her, mm-hmm. but she's approachable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not one of those people. Cause I think that was one of my like bigger hurdles to get over when I read Akatar and then also um, the Throne of Glass series. And I know you kind of struggled your way through it, but Aelin and also Feyre are kind of unapproachable in the popular girl sense of that where they're too pretty they're too courageous they're too and it's okay for women to be too much but it's like i don't know that i totally kind of imprint with that like that's not me um but i feel like there's a push to be more when it's okay to to one not want that and not be that if i think there's there's value to accepting the world around you and not striving necessarily to change that. Yeah. Which sounds kind of bad on the surface, but we kind of also need people like mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah. And I think that's Matrice because, and I feel like I'm fucking up her name. That's probably the alcohol talking, but. <laughs> oh, so you're saying Martrice. Yeah. Martise. Martise. Right. What? There's We're... no Mar. You oh. have the book in front of you. Words are hard. Yes. Martise. She's just like an everyday girl she's the every man (laughs) (laughs) but um she like is only extending herself when it comes to things that she values extremely like as we'll kind of get in through into through this episode she's only extending herself and really uh, making herself vulnerable and you know maybe putting herself in questionable positions just to help Silhara because she feels love for him and she kind of also recognizes that maybe it's one-sided she's like I don't care though that this is one-sided I love you I'm going to do these actions to protect you and so I think that's respectable that it's not some kind of like greater moral standing of like i need to support the world i have to do this it's like no i just love this person and i'm going to do these things to help them well that's the difference between i i would think like an akatar character which is like oh i'm going to defeat corruption and so you have a heroine who's designed her only motivations are to save the world defeat the evil power and do it on her own Mm -hmm. Um, versus martise is very simple yeah i mean i don't if corruption wasn't bothering Selhara, would she do anything about corruption? Probably not. No. <laughs> um, that's fair. <laughs> um, which is not necessarily the right answer either. Mm-hmm. But for Martise and for probably a lot of people, like your level of involvement in these mass world level problems is pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. What can you do at that level? Mm-hmm. And I think that's also what makes this book I would say more easy to get into, easier to read, easier to reread than maybe a book like A Court of Silver Flames, Um, because Nesta's character is very intense. Um, She's doing things, yes, for her own gain, but also there's still that kind of it girl. She's doing it for the betterment of the world. She has to find, you know, the three objects that'll help her do whatever 
it's kind of harder to imagine yourself, I think, as Nesta. Like, you want to. Like, that's the it girl, you know? But I think um, Martise is more like, this is actually who you are. This is a very reasonable, like, she's just trying to save the person that she loves. It's like the chosen one versus the person choosing something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just... I don't know. I have, there's it's a more, soft, spot, soft spot in my heart. It's more <laughs> relatable than your standard fantasy romance heroine. Mm-hmm. And I think hopefully we can all appreciate that a, sl- a little bit more. Yeah. I, at least I'd like to think that. I think so too. Um, And it's sad because basically Martise has found out about being a a life giver um and so she kind of recognizes that she's like fucked over like if not because part of her soul is in somebody else's like control but also because she is a life giver and she will perpetually be used by other people um so she's kind of like not having a good moment (laughs) she's been enslaved almost her entire life right so to realize that she has yet one more item that makes her more appealing to be a slave mm-hmm. and eventually be destroyed. Yeah. Like the fact that she trusts Oof. Silhara. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and Silhara being willing to say, you need to protect yourself. And mm-hmm. like, this is what Conclave would do to you. Yeah. If you were to return there and they were to find out. Um, yeah. It's, it's impressive. It also makes him more of like an interesting love interest too. But basically, the next scene is that they have some visitors to Neath the Kermans. Is that how you said it? Close enough. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> They're like uh, nomads. They're yeah. like desert travelers. Yeah. Uh, and very, so Salahara is of them. Yeah, like half. Because I think his dad, his dad is was. Kerman. So yeah. that's kind of what contributes to his like physical description is mm-hmm. the, the austere features, the long black hair, mm-hmm. uh, slightly more swarthy. So he has uh, relationships with these visitors uh, because they're kind of his family. Yeah. And so he tells, he kind of, there's a little, a little educational session with, uh, <laughs> it's kind of cute with Martise about like, okay, well, their ways are not our ways. And mm-hmm. this is the way I need you to act, which is kind of like the more subservient role, mm-hmm. which is don't make eye contact. She kind of took some cultural traditions from other uh, yeah. current cultures yeah. um i will say um so like outside of this book um this first bit was a little bit questionable because it kind of painted women as like second half humans um but grace draven kind of has a little bit of like a redemption moment later when we get into women's actual role within mm. this tribe yeah um but right now you know she just has to serve silhara during this little picnic thing and can't make eye contact with the other men and yeah so okay i will say that this scene probably was drawn out unduly so yeah because at the end of the day the entire purpose of this interaction between the kerman people and sahara was for sahara to find out more information <laughs> about the Bajana or yeah. bidet Jana, uh, whatever <laughs> um and so this results in him and him hosting them at his at neath mm-hmm. um, and then being like okay great visit uh come to our tent village yeah. um and that's fine <laughs> and yeah. bring your woman with you and it's all of these displays of martise being subservient to sahara mm-hmm. her interacting with the women of this tribe and learning how they influence and have power through their men, yeah, uh, despite their seemingly subservient roles. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed somewhat unnecessary. Yeah. It was kind of one of those um, she needed to draw out the plot or else this would be like a 200-page Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know. We get another like kind of smutty scene. So they travel together to um, the Kerman lands. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. But basically, Selhara is the nephew of the Sarsin, who's like the big chief chief of the village. He's the nephew of his wife or his fourth wife, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, multiple wives, multiple concubines. Yeah, that's um, the setup here. Uh, but basically, uh, we get this kind of like cute domestic intimate scene where <laughs> Marty Metris gives him a bath. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I felt like this was unnecessary. Yeah. All it ser- So the only purpose that this entire scene serves is to either is to continue their physical relationship yeah. and demonstrate their emotional bond in front of other people mm-hmm. and also to educate Sahara about the role of Martise and his future with corruption. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, basically what he learns is that the so in those documents that they got from the keep where the lich is located, uh, they found out that there was this ceremony a couple centuries ago where they killed a god um, that was like a minor bad god or whatever, et cetera. Um, and it was basically this group of king sorcerers and then one king sorcerer from the south. And he was like a big uh, southern king, had a lot of power in the whole time, Silhara is like, I have never heard of someone that has like gathered up all of the tribes and like been a big king. Like that doesn't make sense to me. So they're kind of confused about this guy's identity. But what they find out when they visit the Kerman village is that this guy is like, um, what is his name? Burdahan. Oh, it's the historical dude, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's something like Bardahan or something. So bitch ass. Uh <laughs> <laughs> he is an evil king with I, yeah. magical powers who yeah. has a whose like relationship girlfriend wife etc that mm-hmm. role is a bijana bidejana mm-hmm. and etc etc um uses her life force to empower himself fails kills himself kills her yeah and fails yeah uh trying to destroy this god yeah and so um silhara is very uh distraught over this news because yeah. he was kind of hoping that they would go to the kerman village and get good news and instead he got not so good news um so basically he's either going to have to martyr himself to try to defeat corruption or he can use martis i keep fucking up her name <laughs> i think that was right okay <laughs> it's, oh, so this part felt vague to me which is yeah you know exactly how he would or would not leverage Martise yeah to overthrow corruption as well as like is he just going to accept corruption i don't know it was kind of a little bit of plot holes here i was a little confused um but also they were like bathing each other and like combing their hair oh let's just give a shit about that that part let's move on (laughs) okay anyway so yeah they finish up with the kerman people they go back to neath and it seems to be it wraps up with Silhara accepting his fate as the avatar of corruption, yeah. him needing to seek Conclave's help and sending Martise away. Yeah. And it's kind of sad because the whole time Martise is like, ooh, like I know something is going on. You're lying to me about like Bardahan and like what he actually did. And like, because Bardahan, this is the historical dude who failed to use his Bidejana. Yeah. Uh, he was bonded with a woman named Zephira. Yeah. Who was the life giver Mm -hmm. and um 
Matrice or Martise, whatever her name is, <laughs> she's like convinced that Silhara is lying her lying to her about something, and she's like, I don't know. He's what's also going lying on. her too. <laughs> that is also true, very aggressively. <laughs> um, and she's like, I don't feel really good about just like leaving, but like I guess that's fine. And so Silhara kicks her out. He kicks Gurn out, and he's just living by himself at Neath because he knows that stuff is fucked up, and he accidentally hurts. Um, Martise, uh, accidentally during like a little scuffle when he's like possessed by corruption. Oh, that's a significant scene though. Yeah. Because it shows Sahara losing control over his own form. Yeah. So corruption basically possesses Sahara and attacks Martise. Yeah. Um, throws her up against the wall. Mm. Um, it's very satisfying because she kicks him in the balls and like literally <laughs> uh, cripples him for yeah. hours. Um, and it's funny too because she only recognizes that he's himself when he's like, "Ah, oh, you fucking demon, get away from me!" Yeah, it's kind of yeah. cute but also sad at the same time. Where everyone acknowledges that we that they have met the point of basically no return with corruption, which is yeah. uh, Sahara can no longer fight against the possession. So he sent a letter to Conclave, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's kind of asking, like, hey, here's your opportunity to fucking kill me. Like, let's also take out corruption. Uh, let's do this thing. And basically, Martise is kind of returned to Conclave. They have this big meeting. Um, Silhara's there. And the Luminary, who's like the big guy of the like the chief or the pope he's like the pope yeah yep. <laughs> okay i'm glad that's not just me so the pope is basically like eh, i don't really trust you but like this is fine like let's just kill corruption you'll be the martyr um we'll foster our power through you and you'll destroy corruption and the whole time um martise is like oh, i don't really feel good about this because you're just gonna do this on your own and die and like i still love you but like okay and it's interesting, too, because this is the first time that Silhara sees that she is slave bonded to Cumbria. Yeah, that's a revelation for Silhara. And he's yeah. he's even more downtrodden and regretful over how he's, one, treated her in the past mm -hmm. and to her future because there's not much he can do about it. Silhara is constantly balancing the fate of the world and his possession by corruption with his love for Martise. Yeah. And he ultimately sacrifices his love for Martise to defeat corruption. Yeah. His recognizes that as the greater evil mm -hmm. um well not that martise is the lesser evil I, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know I what, I, what you throw but, down yeah you know what i mean though um and i think that's valuable as a hero yeah like he is not willing to sacrifice the fate of the world just because he is in love with someone mm -hmm. which is interesting too because even Salhara kind of comments on this he's like i did not want to be the hero but like here i am being the martyr like this is fine and it's kind of an interesting transformation for him as his like love for Martise kind of develops he kind of turns into a different person of like before he was like I would sacrifice her in a heartbeat to you know defeat corruption if I knew that was an option but at the end he's like I can't just sacrifice her I'm just gonna do this myself and hopefully the world will exist in a better place and she can just live her life well it's it's, and it's sad it's sad but it's also notable that the very fact that Sahara can resist corruption because what we didn't touch on before is that corruption as an entity mm -hmm. is luring Silhara with these uh, promises of riches and women and like power. Mm -hmm. And Silhara is constantly like, nope, 
not interested, bud. Yep. You keep trying. <laughs> um, no, thank you. <laughs> and so, and corruption is like, one day you'll cave to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the day that Silhara is possessed by corruption, where it, where he attacks Martise, is the day that like you kind of see him like uh, waver a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And it's also interesting because um, his whole segue into making this plan happen is he basically, you know, everyone has left Neath. He's by himself and he's like, okay, um, I accept you. I am the avatar, like control my body. We'll figure it out. But in the back of his head, he knows that this, you know, plan is going to happen and they're going to try to destroy him. And it's really sad because corruption is like, oh, this is awesome. You finally accepted my yoke. You're in my control. But you need to be punished because you have, you know, wavered and said no to me so many times. And corruption makes Selhara destroy his orange grove. Oh, it's so sad. (laughs) It's really sad because Selhara has this like love-hate relationship with the orange grove. I mean, he was almost killed because he stole an orange and he hates eating them, but he eats them every day. But there's this like constant love behind all of that for his orange grove it's a source of money and it's completely destroyed up in flames so this happens and i'm apologize if we've gotten confused in our retelling but basically (laughs) silhara has banished both gurn and martis Mm -hmm. um to out of neath yeah while corruption possesses him and this is in anticipation of traveling to another location for the priests of the conclave to unite in a circle and battle corruption to eventually defeat him and save the world. I think it's, I, it just occurred to me, this was mm-hmm. not, did not occur to me during reading, <laughs> um, that it's interesting that Grace Draven chose corruption as a mm-hmm. euphemism for this evil god. And it shows how corruption lures Silhara along the path. And he, he eventually caves and mm-hmm. how the way he can be defeated is only by the unification of these people mm-hmm. and Silhara. As representation of corruption in our current world. Oh. I wonder if she's trying to send a message. That would be nice. Uh, sending a message through, like, smut appreciation, I'm here for it. <laughs> it, it also makes me wonder, like, did how much um, actual smut did she write into this book to make it appeal to readers, oh. if only to get this message across? Hmm. I... Mm, I don't know, because we also read The Undying King, and <laughs> yep. I don't know if there was a broader message besides smut in that one, uh, but I don't, I could also see that, because there is kind of the broader message of... The message feels like it's um, not articulated. It yeah. feels like there's a commentary on corruption as a presence mm-hmm. um, in that world, right? Which, if we're going to read into it as a commentary on corruption in our current world. Yeah. But it feels like she doesn't quite know how to defeat it or how bad it is, except yeah. that it's bad. Yeah. It feels like a general message that needs to be refined. I could see that because I was very confused. So these next couple scenes, Silhara, you know, is in this like funnel of wind. The priests are all around him. Martis um, basically is like, I'm going to run away and try to help them. Runs away, goes to this place, is like, oh, my God, he's sacrificing himself. Goes and touches him and her gift comes out. And they go into this like weird, barren, like freaky place. Yeah, with the gigantic whale the like leviathan yeah in in an ocean of darkness and sadness in like oily it's not water the imagery in this last section is significant so yeah grace driven's imagery is phenomenal yeah it really is um this last scene where 
um, basically, we're we're skimming a lot. Mm-hmm. We're not progressing quite. Yeah, but we're skimming because, like, I will be honest, and like this whole part is like kind of confusing to me. <laughs> so, if we backtrack a little bit, so yeah. Halra banished them both. Yeah, uh, he goes to this place that he summoned the Conclave to, to be mm-hmm. like, okay, I am possessed by corruption. Corruption will be here. Mm-hmm. Come here. Use your powers to defeat me. With your powers combined, we will win. <laughs> um, Martise is like, I can't let you do this alone. She mm-hmm. discovers the um, truth about the Bidejana mm-hmm. and says, oh, with my gift, maybe he will succeed in fighting corruption and not die in the mm-hmm. process. So she and Gurn unite, run to the scene of redemption. <laughs> yes, and the uh, scene of redemption. <laughs> and she channels her gift miraculously and somehow um, through doing that, her soul ends up existing in the same plane that yeah. Silharas does while he's possessed by corruption. Because mm-hmm. he even says, like, uh, you're really going to, you're doing me dirty already, and now you're going to give an illusion of the woman I love? Like, are you fucking kidding me? And Martise is like, can you listen to me? Yeah. Like, I am real talking to you right now. And he's like, oh, fuck, sorry. And then, like, yanks her out of the oily, he's like gross water. He's, like, sitting on a rock. <laughs> yeah. with this, he's, like, pouting. Like, with a <laughs> death whale circling him. And the the ocean is blood, not water. Yeah. And Martise is like, this is gross. Get me out. Uh, this Save is, me. This is Silhara's, like, consciousness. Yeah. Um, and so he pulls her out. They realize what's going on and kind of agree to, like, okay, I'll use your gift. Yeah. They use her gift and everything's I, fine? Yeah, because he had such, like, aggressive denial. Like, he did not want to use her gift. And then as soon as she popped up, he's like, oh, God, you. And then he does. Drains her. Without question. <laughs> yeah. But they all survive. Yeah. Like, he wakes up. Corruption's defeated. The priests are like, oh, this sucked, but we're fine. <laughs> um, yeah. And Martise is also alive. Yeah. It felt like a very rushed yeah. wrap up. Yeah. Um, and corruption's gone. Yeah, because I almost think that this might have been a little bit like more easy to read towards the end is if the trip to the Kermans was before the big sex scene. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, that seems right. I feel like the sex scene and it could be because we're so like trained by other romance books that the sex scene needs to be at the end. But, like, it was kind of confusing that the sex scene was in the middle and then we still had a bunch of plot to get over. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is, imagine, like, the customs of the Kerman people Mm -hmm. on a testing on a relationship that hasn't been established yet. Yeah. Right? But, like, Silhara and Martise are established. They have a physical relationship. They, like, know their boundaries. They're fine. Um, they all agree to play by the rules of the Kerman people. But imagine using those customs and cultural rules on a relationship that hasn't been tested yet. Ew. Yeah, that's not going to go well. Like, Martisa would be like, nah, fuck you. You can <laughs> bathe okay. yourself. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this feels weird. <laughs> that's fair. Because, yeah, everyone survives and Martise is back at Asher, which is the place she was before she went to Neath um, and the Cumbria is like you've been sold off and she's like what the actual fuck and she gets in this caravan of Kerman people and she's like oh they, this is kind of cool I have no idea where I'm going but like okay and then they make a stop at Neath and she's like okay and it's Selhara that like purchased her through like a intermediary yeah. <laughs> just to hide the fact that he's buying her yeah he gives her the crystal yeah like she's free yeah Happy and ending. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a, so part three is probably where we have the most issues with. Yeah. Yeah. Cause everything up to this was like, okay, I 
I like get what's going on? Like I'm down with it, but then it's like, what it is feels happening? rushed. Yeah, it feels rushed and not fully fleshed out as mm-hmm. it could be. Yeah, which is interesting too because the Undying King felt like an outline. So I wonder if the Undying King with more meat is just Master of Crows or like an equivalent. Yeah, I could kind of see that. I think the main character, like the heroine mm-hmm. of the Undying King is very similar to Martise, but the hero, it's almost like a copycat version, yeah. but the hero is much colder. Yeah. So Silhara is reactionary and has emotions, and mm-hmm. but the Undying King is like, He's either turned on or he's an <laughs> asshole. Like there's no other, there's no other forms for him. Um, Which I kind of respect because we talked about it during the Undying King, but I feel like that's an actual kind of conception of someone that is immortal or yeah. close to immortal versus the Fae that we always get, you know, mm-hmm. inundated with. But yeah, the ending of Master of Crows is kind of weak. And it's funny because looking back, my partner literally was like, oh, after the sex scene, like, do you have to continue reading? And like, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> See, you you would be reading for fun at that point. <laughs> and that's where I think pacing gets really yeah. important with these kinds of books, right? Um, a good a good book will adjust the pacing to make you want to read until the end, mm-hmm. which sometimes means like building out the romantic conflict until the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's half the reason I don't finish all these fucking K-dramas. Like, I'll get to episode 12, the ro- like, the romantic relationship is resolved. And I'm like, all right, peace out, I'm done. Okay, bye. Um, yeah, not a huge fan. Yeah. But I will also say that there's been this, like, bookstagram trend of the second act miscommunication trope. Die. Which I also hate. So I don't know what I want from romance books, but, like... Uh, <laughs> I don't I, want miscommunication at the end zone, but also... I, I do appreciate that these two characters, uh, Martise and Zahara, never really have that. Yeah. There's no miscommunication going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are separated when they are separated by circumstance, not mm-hmm. because of their own failures to communicate, uh, which is refreshing yeah. in, in any kind of romance genre. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in yeah. some of these other books, no. Yeah, because it was also refreshing that um, March. Oh my God, Martise. Uh, Jesus <laughs> Lord, <laughs> Martise um, was okay with the fact that she loved Silhara, but she was kind of questioning whether he loved her back. Because um, that's always part of the second act miscommunication in some of these romance books of like, oh, I loved him, but he doesn't love me back, so I'm not going to be vulnerable and tell him that I love him. But like Martise is like, I love you, you stupid fuckhead. Like I don't want you to die. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna be gruff and martyr myself and save the world. And she's like okay but like i love you can you stop being stupid and he's like i also love you but like secretly um because other books are like the you know main heroine never has the courage to like kind of admit it (laughs) so this is actually a really good lead in into this final scene where silhara is in the center of the circle of mages and sorcerers whatever Mm film like and Martise has to rush in to save him and, like, potentially sacrifice herself to save him. So there is a book called The Magician's Ward mm. by... Oh, this is the book you were talking about. This is the book I was talking about. So <laughs> this is actually the second book in a duology by Patricia C. Reed, mm. uh, set in, like, a regency, alternate regency England setting with sorcerers, magicians, definitely YA. Mm. Uh, there's really no romance. Characters, like, 14 or 15 years old. Oh, 
The second book is The Magician's Ward. She's a little bit older. She's apprenticed to the ward. And the the final scene is <laughs> the magician she's been apprenticed to and seemingly has like this romantic attachment to. And this is a very, very clean fantasy romance, I would say. Mm. Has sacrificed himself in this circle of mages huh. and sorcerers <laughs> to like save Ew. the fucking world. And his ward has put all of these mystery pieces together to realize, no, he can't be at the center of the circle. She's got to pull him out of it. She has to be at the center of the circle and sacrifice herself. And so she rushes at the very last minute, pulls him out of the circle, puts herself in the center, and like has basically a fucking seizure. Oh, my God. <laughs> and almost dies in front of him because he she threw him out of the circle to save him. Oh, fuck. Because she realized like he would die. I'm not going to die if I put myself here. Oh. Uh, but it's like that. Um, expression of love that hasn't yet been confessed but is confessed by action yeah um, and it felt way more significant in that book than it did here because it felt like the love was confessed maybe too early yeah and her sacrifice maybe didn't mean as much because we expected it to happen mm -hmm. yeah so that's a sidebar but the magician's <laughs> ward by patricia reed is has a very similar ending to this book yes in Probably I haven't read that book, but it sounds more satisfying than what happens in this one. Well, if you have issues with the thrusting, and like I, the, <laughs> the amount of explicit detail given in this book, like yeah. if if you kind of lean towards liking your um, romance a little cleaner, yeah. if you like half a soul, slightly um, like fairy tale esque, yeah, that's where you want to live. Is yeah. that line? So that's. Yeah, but um, if you're a dumpster demon like myself and you like your smut in books, um, this one is pretty satisfying. But it's one of those that like you could probably get like 45 or 50 percent in and you can guess what the ending is like. It's fine. And then it's over. <laughs> yeah, the, con the conflict resolution isn't as drawn out as you can. So if we were going to have issues yeah. with it, that would be it. But yeah, overall, though. Mm -hmm. Still a phenomenal book. Yes. Like, if we were just to focus on her writing style, mm -hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Like, my God. Yeah. Because it feels, um, because I will say that some, like, smutty books, it kind of feels like you're reading, like, Wattpad or Archive of Her Own fan fiction-y, and mm -hmm. you're like, this is not seen a real editor or like a you know literally publishing house or anything like this <laughs> so <is> my, <laughs> uh, my my pet peeve of like modernisms and cliched yeah. phrasing like grace driven has never ever yeah abused my trust <laughs> <laughs> that is true <laughs> so yeah if that is a like a tick for you like it is for me grace mm -hmm. draven is like your woman yeah and she's got a pretty good like backlog of stories that yeah. you can work through yeah because um if you enjoyed master of crows or you're like oh this is something i want to read and you read it and you're like oh my god i need more um literally any of her books will also itch the scratch like if i had to describe books similar to this it would just be other grace draven books <laughs> yeah she's very unique in the genre her mm -hmm. writing style is matched by I don't think anyone else. Yeah. And even if you're like, uh, oh, you know, I like smut, but like, I also like like monster romance. She literally has everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you have found your market. Like this is smut that is written well. 
um, which is not something that can be said for all no. smut. <laughs> and I, so I would also say, like, if you like Juliette Morellier, but you need more romance. Yeah. This is the author you need to try. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I have read a book or two, but I also want to be... I, I need... was <laughs> Entertain me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you're a Roman emperor and you're like, I need a little something-something from this, um, Grace Draven is your woman. Um, and also, I want to say, so she posted on her Instagram recently that she's battling cancer, and I think for the most part she's doing okay, or she's in almost in remission. And we would just want to say we're sending her absolutely all of the best vibes from 100%. our podcast. Um, always, she is the OG of all of our fantasy romance love. Um, and so I hope Grace Draven is doing okay. I know she's recovering with her family, but. We're sending you good vibes regardless. <laughs> we will have a drink with you. Yes, and absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. So from our shelf to yours, we'll see you on the next page. Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday and Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. Thanks for listening. Bussin'.